0: Good afternoon. Thank you once again for joining me. Julian Campbell here. We've got another interesting show lined up for you this week. A bit later in our program, we'll have a look at our Harvard Business Review tips. Uh, One of them is make a great first impression. We're also talking with Christina about uh, our uh, minutes on innovation, and we're going to look at some more recent innovative products. But right now, we're going to cross over to Baker Love Lawyers and have a chat with Rebecca McKenzie about Christmas time in the office. Good afternoon, Rebecca.
1: Good afternoon, Julian. How are you?
0: I'm very well, and thank you once again for joining me.
1: Thank you for having me on your show again.
0: You're welcome. Uh, So, uh, Christmas time, uh, office parties, party time or pitfall. So I know there's lots of benefits to an office Christmas party, and sometimes the staff look forward to them. But are there some legal issues to consider?
1: Julie and it is you know generally a wonderful festive time of year lots of fun to be had for the most part but without being too much of a buzzkill, I think it is important for employers to remind staff about acceptable standards of behaviour at any Christmas party so if organisations haven't yet had their annual gathering then now it's very timely to make sure that all of those risk management HR boxes have been ticked off so to speak so this doesn't necessarily mean inviting all staff into the boardroom and reading them the riot act but employers should take some measures to at least communicate the company's stance on behaviour like making inappropriate comments or gestures any issues in relation to harassing other staff or drinking too much and being disorderly and other potential legal issues like work health and safety and social media etiquette both at the party and following following the party. So, we all know that the end of year celebrations can do lots of wonderful things, you know, for promoting yeah. office relationships and increasing staff morale and it's also a good opportunity for management to thank their employees for their services throughout the year, etc. But it's not uncommon for the festivities to get out of hand. So, business owners really need to be prepared for this.
0: So, so what's the status of a Christmas party conduct? Is it considered to be work time?
1: Julian, it is. Um, Christmas parties are classified as work-related activities generally. So what that means is that employers have an ongoing duty in relation to things like um, sexual harassment, discrimination, bullying and workplace health and safety as well. So it's really important to remind employees that the rules that apply in the office also apply to work functions. So that's even though the activities occurring away from the usual workplace and outside typical business hours. So look, most of us have probably experienced you know, getting a bit dressed up for a work party, feeling very relaxed, um, having a bit to drink or maybe too much to drink and letting our hair down a bit and that's when the inhibitions really fall away and what might seem like a funny comment or activity at the time um, when the beer goggles come off it might be a different story so i think people need to use a bit of common sense and be mindful of that if we can say line of appropriateness and try not to cross it Um, so for example if you wouldn't comment on peggy's sexy figure in that little black dress in the office boardroom then maybe try to refrain from doing so at the Christmas party mm. and you know, likewise if you wouldn't grab at Peggy's bits and pieces in the office kitchen don't try it on at the Christmas party mm. um, so bottom line employers can be held liable for the actions of the employees at Christmas parties so it's important for management to lead by example for starters and also be mindful of monitoring behaviour throughout the Christmas party.
0: Well, there's a well known song uh, there's got to be a morning after (laughs) what happens uh, what are the ramifications for bad behaviour
1: yeah sure so The most common workplace complaint post Christmas party is sexual harassment and can include things like um, unwelcome touching and familiarity, suggestive comments and jokes, and maybe inappropriate gifts and personal questions. And it can be a fine line sometimes in terms of what may offend a particular person and what may not. So it can be quite subjective. Um, But it's important to keep it in mind that if there is some sort of incident, Um, At a party or or thereafter, employers really need to ensure that appropriate action is taken um, and in accordance with the usual workplace policies and procedures. So these things do need to be actioned fairly quickly um, and they might include things like disciplinary action, um, warnings, so formal warnings, or at the extreme end of things, possibly termination of employment.
0: So is there any well-known Christmas party cases
1: Well, there are, unfortunately. Um, Telstra was actually in the spotlight. Now, this is an older case, but it still actually crops up as a famous Christmas party case if you're on the lookout for them. Anyway, so just a tiny bit of background. Uh, This case involved employees of a Sydney Telstra retail store. Um, And what started out as an orderly, fairly orderly work dinner function Uh, Later that evening, went a bit awry at a nearby hotel um, with a store employee having sexual intercourse with another employee, and it was within the view and or earshot of three other employees. Um, So, look, there were issues surrounding dismissal of... Of the subject employee but also some complicated litigation in terms of what those other witnesses saw and it was a flow on into the workplace in relation to those activities so even though the activity took place away from the workplace physically it actually had significant implications for other staff at the workplace and that's why Mm -hmm. there was legal action Um, there was actually another case last year this This matter went through the Fair Work Commission, um, and an employee, well, he sexually harassed colleagues and he told his bosses to F off at a Christmas party. He was unfairly sacked, it was determined, because the company had supplied him with a free flow of alcohol. Mm. So this is another consideration in terms of beverage supply and how that should be managed, and it's a live issue. And, look, there have been all sorts of other cases about topless female waitresses at Christmas parties and employees exposing themselves to other staff, Mm. causing legal issues in relation to harassment and discrimination and termination of employment. So it's definitely um, um, an area where things can get out of hand um, and something for employers and businesses to be mindful of.
0: Well, without being a killjoy, have you got some practical tips to minimise this risk?
1: I sure do and whilst it's likely that the vast majority of Christmas parties are a success with no significant issues, um, there are definitely some things that employers can do to try and prevent complaints and potential litigation following the Christmas party. So here are some tips and there are seven of them. Um, firstly, employers should ensure that their workplace policies and codes of conduct, if they have them, are up to date and have been circulated Around to employees. Um, Also, a good idea if bosses, management, etc., send just a friendly reminder to employees prior to the party reminding them of their responsibilities and that should include just a bit of notice that they're still technically at work when attending the party. Um, thirdly there should be a clear finishing time for the party so that there is a point in time where the employer can say festivities are over and then you know, you're know you on your own from mm. here mm. although there can still be some flow on effects but it depends on the circumstance um, Fourthly very important there should be responsible service of alcohol guidelines and that's um, just Mm. a bit obvious there also the employer should make efforts to provide both food and non alcoholic drinks Um, I actually asked my husband about this he's a business owner himself and he made a suggestion for workers and management for that matter to have a cup of water between drinks Mm. and he said it's important to be hydrated And that's a good point. So the the employers really should provide food and non-alcoholic options as well. Um, Management should lead by example. So that's my sixth point. Um, Obviously, if employees are seeing managers or bosses misbehaving, then they can see that as a bit of an impetus for them to do the same. So top tier needs to behave appropriately. And finally, uh, it needs to be made clear that any festivities that continue after the party are not endorsed by the employer.
0: Mm, great. Well, thanks very much for your time, Rebecca, and, of course, your contribution during the year. Um, you have a good Christmas, and we'll have a chat with you again in the new year.
1: Thanks very much, Julian, and Merry Christmas to you too.
0: Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Time to pop over to Christina for some innovation. Good afternoon, Christina.
2: Good afternoon, Julian. How are you today?
0: I'm well, and we're going to talk about a few more of those uh, recent innovative products.
2: Yeah, products and, and places where um, potentially innovation in health technologies are taking us. But let's start first with, so we're very, you know how we've talked in the past about um, how we get a lot of our ideas for innovation from uh, science fiction movies and mm. science fiction books. Yeah. Well, there is a new technology that's being played with at the moment that allows you to play games using only your mind, so going totally into that mind control area. They've done, they're doing a study or they've completed a study and they're, up, they're ready to do the next phase um, where humans have played a computer game based on direct brain stimulation rather than any cues from sight, sound, touch. So, you know, when somebody's playing a computer game, they're pressing a button, they're looking at a screen, so everything's controlled by your other senses. There's a soundtrack usually. What mm-hmm. they're doing now is they're processing artificial information and, and using the brain to navigate through a virtual world. It's a bit hard to, to conceive really sometimes, but without input from any of the other senses. So they're doing this research at the University of Washington, um, and they've shown humans playing computer games without relying on any of those other sensory cues, the sight, uh-huh. the sound, the touch they're navigating through two-dimensional mazes um, based on brain stimulation. So that's where that will take us, who knows?
0: But as you say, we have seen some of that on uh, science fiction movies in the past, and of course it would have great medical applications,
2: wouldn't it? That, exactly, which will move us into. The next, the next thing I'd like to, to mention is the advances they've made with Parkinson's disease. So we've also mentioned how... Um, the gut and the brain, are, we're finding more similarities between the gut and the brain. What they're starting to find now, so they've moved the, um, the research for Parkinson's disease into the gut, they're doing some work with mice, uh, and what they've found is that they were concentrating on the brain so much they, um, they, they've missed that whole gut uh, in, into interrelationship, but they're doing some work with mice that suggest that Parkinson's might actually start in the gut, just like the Helicobacter virus, you know, we with the ulcer um, begins in the gut. They're now they're now starting to think maybe Parkinson's is a microbial thing that starts in the gut. So they've um, they've taken some mice who were actually bred to get Parkinson's, um, but they have. They've put them in different different they had a control group, they had the, the second group, they' put them in different situations, one where they can pick up bacteria in the gut, et cetera, um, and one where they lived relatively sterile and and clean so that there were no extra microbes happening in the in the gut space, and they're finding that the mice that were that are in this clean space actually aren't developing the parkinson's. Mm. so what they're suggesting is that if they can identify which of the bacteria, which are the microbes that actually produce that, they'll go a long way into curing the disease, also preventing people getting the disease. Yeah, Um, so, you know, that's just remarkable. And just to have the idea, I think, is is quite a remarkable thing as well. So, you know, to to go, well, hang on, let's take the research for Parkinson's out of the brain. Where else can it be? And we've talked about this with design thinking practices. Mm. Sometimes if you reframe the question, so you the question isn't... Yeah, you come up with a different, or a different, you know, different avenue to explore. Um, Face electrodes allowing you, so virtual reality where we're experiencing different realities and we can use the oral and the visual, they've actually now, they're coming up with face electrodes that will let you taste and chew in virtual reality. (laughs) So you can, they've got, um, this is all happening in Tokyo, so they've got thermal stimulators um, on your tongue that can mimic flavours such as mint spices, you know, they've worked with a few other flavors, uh, and mimicking textures such as hardness and chewiness. So they're the um they put those external electrodes on the, on the chewing muscles.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So, you know, soon we'll be able to sit down and have a three-course meal, I guess.
0: Without, uh, without and, having and, a meal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: that's right. We'll be able to be in the restaurant um, virtually, but we'll also be able to taste and, and feel the textures of those foods. Have I got time for one more?
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: Okay, so heart cells. Um, they're now they're finding um, different sets of chemicals that can transform scar tissue in the heart, uh, and and hopefully repair damage to um, to the heart muscles that have been damaged in heart attacks. Mm-hmm. Um, so if they if they play with these different chemicals, they can actually come up with um, regeneration using gene therapy, uh, and ultimately potentially you know curing the heart damage that was done during a heart attack. So. Right. Fantastic things happening in the innovation
0: space. Fantastic. Phase. Well, you have a great week, and we'll have a chat with you for our last program next week.
2: Look forward to it. Oh, not the, the fact that it's the last week, but look forward to chatting with
0: you. And it's not the last program. It's just the last program for the, the year. Last,
2: this <laughs> year, that's right. That's right. Okay, have
0: a great week. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. bye bye got time for a Harvard Business Review tip. Make a great first impression. Whether you're interviewing for a job or making a sales call with a new client, first impressions matter. Your relationships and interactions with will be a lot easier if you start off strong. And here's how to do it. First of all, do your homework. Know who you're talking to, what he or she cares about, and the problem that he or she's trying to solve. Prepare relevant talking points before the meeting. Then, exclude, exude confidence. It's normal to be nervous, but you don't want your anxiety to show. Your body language should be confident and comfortable. Take long strides, sit up straight, walk with your chest held high. Thirdly, engage and be engaging. Draw out the other person, listen to what he or she is saying, ask thoughtful questions. The better you make him or her feel, the more they are inclined to have a positive impression of you. And then finally, follow up. To ensure your first impression sticks, write the person a thank you note or send an article related to the conversation that you have had. Well, thank you for being with me for the last half hour. I hope you've enjoyed the program. We've looked at uh, Christmas time in the office and the importance to uh, make sure that we keep those Christmas parties under control and some innovative new products. In a moment, Jane Klein will be back with you with more of your easy listening favourites. Next week, we'll have our Minute on Innovation with Christina and some more business and legal news and views that might affect your business. I'd love your company again for Business the Law and you at the same time next week. Until then, have an exciting and prosperous week. And as Benjamin Franklin once said, a good conscience is a continual Christmas. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel.